0: Ruling Truth Sports Network, the NFL show, as always, is brought to you by Manscaped. Make sure you check them out at manscaped.com, promo code TGT20 for 20% off your first purchase and free shipping. I am your host, Mike Goodpaster. Right now, I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Sam Teets. How you doing, Sam? You there, Sam?
1: Yeah, I'm there. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, you kind of broke up a little bit. All right, yesterday, or the day before, sometime in the last couple of days, the NFL announced their Hall of Fame finalist class for 2021. We're going to go through each one of them today, give our opinion whether they should be in or not be in. We're going to start off in alphabetical order with Jared Allen. What's your take on Jared Allen, Kansas City Chiefs, Minnesota Vikings, entity's his career with the Bears and the Panthers? Does Is Jared Allen a guy that should get into the Hall of Fame immediately?
1: This is one of the most controversial ones, I think, because he's got four first team first-team Pro Bowl. He led the NFL in sacks twice. I think Jared Allen deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I just don't know this first ballot. I would think second or third ballot is probably better for him. But I don't believe first ballot for Jared Allen.
0: My question is this, though if you're a Hall of Famer, aren't you a Hall of Famer? I mean, why should it be first ballot? Well, we'll put him in the second ballot. If you're one of the greatest players that ever lived, you should be. So, what I go by is this. If you're one of the greatest players to ever play your position, you're a Hall of Famer. If you're not, you're not. Jared Allen was really good. He's not a Hall of Famer. Put it like this until LC Greenwood's in the Hall of Fame, how the hell are you going to put Jared Allen in it?
1: I appreciate the LC Greenwood shout out as a Stewart's just... thanks. He is, is approached that he's not in the Hall. I don't know how he didn't make it last year when they were putting all the sticks in.
0: Yeah. And, and the thing is this he's a guy that. Most people don't even realize he's not a Hall of Famer because to me, it should have been a no-brainer.
1: When you think about playing on that historic defense, it's kind of crazy how he got overshadowed the way he did playing alongside guys like Joe Green, Jack Lambert, Jack Ham. But I also agree with his own right was an All-Pro and was a Pro Bowler who should be in the Hall of Fame. And he held his door sack record for quite a while as well.
0: All right, next up, we got Rondé Barber. What's your take on Rondé Barber? Is he a Hall of Famer?
1: Rondé Barber was one of my favorite players growing up, so it's kind of hard to definitive statement. I'd say probably – probably not. If we're saying Jared Allen's not, I'd say Rondé Barber probably not. He's, a guy, he's got an all-2000 team selection for the Hall of Fame, five Pro Bowls, three time for a small pro Bowls. But If we're being very strict about how we're laying to the Hall of Fame, I don't know who will put Rondé Barber in the same class as guys like Camp Bailey or Charles Woodson.
0: How many interceptions did Rondé Barber have?
1: Rondé Barber had 47.
0: Yeah, he got the interceptions for it. But when I think of Rondé Barber, I don't think of one of the greatest defensive backs that ever lived. And when you look at this, Ken Riley's got 65. Shout out to the Bengals and Ken Riley. But the fact that Ken Riley's not in there, or a guy like Eddie Metter, Eddie Metter's a guy who was on the all-decade team in the 60s, played for the Rams. Still holds like six Rams records. I think he had like 45 or 46 interceptions. But he was an all-pro, not just Pro Bowl player. At safety and corner, a guy like that should be it. There is no way Ronde Barber is one of the greatest to ever play the game.
1: When you think about like Giant Robinson as well, who didn't get into, I believe, last year, there are plenty of great defensive backs throughout history who still aren't in the Hall of Fame. So putting someone like Ronde Barber in right now would be a little bit surprising.
0: Well, it would be stupid, but that's what they do. If you know what I mean, they do stupid in the hall of fame. A lot of guys get in and it makes no sense. A lot of guys don't, and it makes no sense. Next up, we're going to go Tony Baselli. This is a guy that I think should have been a first ballot hall of famer. He should have been immediately. He's one of the great tackles to ever play the game. His problem is I think his career only lasted about six years before injuries got him. But what's your take on Tony Baselli?
1: by time we get him in, right? And this is one of the best tackles in the history of football. And that five-year stretch where he's healthy. I think he had healthy for six years, but after his rookie season, five-year prime where he was five-time Pro Bowler, three first ML Pro, he's a member of the all nineteen nineties team. I don't know how he hasn't gotten in yet. I understand that it's because of the short career. I get that. But we put Terrell Davis in, he had a short career. We we're starting putting in the guys who had short primes. So we're putting them into the Hall of Fame. Kenny Easley's in there. I don't know how Tony Bazzelli's still to get into the Hall of Fame. Well, the thing
0: is, Kenny Easley should have been there. The problem is, Kenny Easley should have went in right away, too. And it took 20 or 30 years to get Kenny Easley into the Hall of Fame, which was easily a disgrace. And when I look at it, I mean, come on. Kenny Easley should be in there immediately. Tony Baselli should have. Gail Sayers in there after only six years. The difference is, when you get a guy like Gail Sayers, you get six years of you know, rushing, receiving, kick, return stats. With Tony Baselli it's harder for people to realize how good he was because he was an offensive lineman. But that Jaguars team, a lot of the reasons they were good almost immediately was Tony Baselli. I mean, that dude, because you had Tony Baselli on one side. I'm going to put, put a plug in for my friend Leon Searcy, who was on the right side. They had a great offensive line. Tony Baselli should be in the Hall of Fame, and it's absolutely criminal that that man is still trying to get into the Hall of Fame.
1: Well, if you ask anyone from that time period too, who was the best offensive line, most of them will tell you it was Tony Boselli. So the fact that he's not in when he was clearly the best player at his position for an extended period of time is atrocious. It's wrong.
0: He was the best player at his position at left tackle. The other one that gets me is Willie Anderson, who was a Cincinnati Bengal. He was a right tackle. For my money, he was the best tackle for almost a decade. He was on a horrible Bengals team. He's a guy that never gets any love from anybody when they do this. He actually made it as a semifinalist this time, but I think the stat on him was he gave up like one sack over like a two or three year period with no false starts. I mean, one holding penalty. Willie Anderson was a great player. You probably never saw him. They're not going to show you highlights because he was an offensive lineman but he's a guy that I think should be going in with Tony Baselli. They both should have been in a long time ago. My next guy would be Leroy Butler. Is Leroy Butler a Hall of Famer?
1: About guys yeah, like Ron a. Barber not getting in. I don't think a Leroy Butler's a Hall of Fame. I know he's a four-time first-team All-Pro. He was a member of the Hall of Fame 1990s team as well. But 30 at Green Bay, I mean, I would put Ron a. Barber in the head of Leroy Butler.
0: I wouldn't, but I wouldn't put either one of them in. How about that? I mean, I, I just think that they've dumbed us down so much. Let's face it, Leroy Butler was a Green Bay Packer. That never hurts, if you know what I mean. And you know, Rondé Barber. I mean, what was he on TV? Or is it? Was that Tiki? I don't know. I don't know how Rondé Barber makes it to this list. Leroy Butler makes it to this list, but yet you got guys like Willie Anderson who can't even be a finalist. I mean, Willie Anderson was a dominant right tackle in his position, and I'm going to keep pushing Willie Anderson because people need to realize it. Another guy I'm going to push is Alan Fanica. Alan Fanica, I mean, I know you're going to be one of those guys that, you know, well, he was a Steeler, so all Steelers should be in the Hall of Fame. But Alan Fanica was maybe the best guard in football for a decade. Alan Fanica should have already been in the Hall of Fame. And much like Willie Anderson, Tony Baselli, these guys don't get the respect that they deserve, and they're the most important players on a team.
1: No, when we talk about building great teams, it usually starts in the trenches up front on both sides of football. So it's shocking how much offensive line get overlooked in this process. And for Alan Fanica, a six-time first-team All-Pros, got a Super Bowl with Pittsburgh, Nine bowler of course, Hall of Fame, uh, all-2000s team, he's got one of the best resumes probably of any player out there this year, Maybe second or third best resume of any player. And it's been that way for the past three or four years now. So it's shocking that he had to wait this long for time as a finalist. I don't know why it's taken so long for him to get into the Hall of Fame.
0: How about this? I would put Alan Fanica into the Hall of Fame before Peyton Manning. I know you would. I would, but not because I don't like Peyton Manning. It's because I think Alan Fanica is closer to the top of the greatest guards of all time. And Peyton Manning might even be a quarterback. And I think it's a hell of a lot harder to be a great guard for a long period of time. I just, it pisses me off that uh the offensive linemen and defensive linemen, especially like defensive tackles are basically ignored when it comes to this. And I, I just, it's stupid. Now let's go to another player. We've got Torrey Holt, former great Ram greatest show on turf is Torrey Holt, a hall of famer.
1: And they just put Isaac in this past year. I think they're gonna to put Torrey Holt in eventually, but I don't know if Torrey Holt would qualify so much because they have, have seen receivers come out for years. Like if you ask me, would I rather put Tory Holt or someone like Andre Johnson retired within the past five or six years? Would I rather have Torrey Holt or Andre Johnson the Hall. I would say Andre Andre Johnson. So I probably wouldn't put Torrey Holt
0: here. I would take Tory Holt.
1: I mean if you go numbers
0: alone, real quick, pull up Lynn Swan's numbers.
1: Since you're a steel conversation, oh, yeah. you can justify putting a lot of guys into the hall of fame, like,
0: but Tory Holt here, I'm sorry. If you look at a receptions: 82, 81, 91, 117, 94, 102, 93, 93. At the end of his career, he petered off to 64, all the over 13,000 yards, 920 receptions, 74 touchdowns, Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce are hall of famers to me. And yes, I would take Tory Holt over Andre Johnson because I think he was better.
1: All right. Okay.
0: Now, if you go by what I think the criteria should be, no, Torrey Holt's not a Hall of Famer. He's not one of the greatest wide receivers that ever played a game. And by the way, neither is Andre Johnson.
1: No, we're talking about the greatest ever played a game. We're talking about Jerry Rice, Larry Fitzgerald, Randy Moll, kind of guys. But this is what I go to.
0: If... You got Jerry Rice, Don Hudson, even throw in, you know, Terrell Owens, Randy Moss. Does Andre Johnson or Torrey Holt compare to those guys?
1: No, not really. We talk about those guys in the top 10 conversations. We don't put Andre Johnson or Torrey Holt in that discussion.
0: Yeah, so how in the hell are they going to be Hall of Famers? I mean, you've got these guys in the Hall of Famers and wide receivers. Maybe they should have levels to the Hall of Fame where you got really, truly the greatest that ever lived up here. Because Torrey Holt's nowhere near Jerry Rice. He's nowhere near what John Hudson accomplished. So, or Don Hudson, sorry. But when I look at that, once again, I think the NFL should be for the greatest players that ever played the game. And, you know, we're talking about, it's really turned into the hall of very good.
1: You know? Yeah, Um, I mean, what you said, there there are layers to it.
0: Yeah, uh, right now, Calvin Johnson or Torrey Holt, who would you take? (laughs)
1: well obviously it's going to be calvin johnson this is a top 10 wide receiver we're talking about here
0: yeah of all time so calvin johnson belongs in the hall of fame if he wasn't in detroit he'd probably still be playing but (laughs) and his numbers uh, i 730 receptions 11 or a little over eleven thousand yards he really only played what about eight years and then he got the hell out of detroit you can't hold that against him but Calvin Johnson, I could make a case, as even a lot better than top 10 all the time.
1: Well, you know, some people will say that he's the best receiver they've ever seen. And it's not just young people. So it's some people who've seen Jerry Rice and say Calvin Johnson's most dominant wide receiver they've ever seen play. So if you've got people testifying like that, including former players, you have to at least, at least 10.
0: Yeah, so we agree. He is definitely a Hall of Famer. And when you put levels, he would be at the top. Is John Lynch at the top? When you look at safeties, is John Lynch one of the greatest
1: to ever play the game? No, I don't think John Lynch is one of the greatest safeties to ever play the game. Do you think he's a Hall of Famer? He's very good. He's a very good safe. Don't get me wrong. He's had a very great career. But if we're talking about the top of the top. The best safeties of all time, compared to the the top five or six guys who will be up there. Even then, I don't know if I would put him in that conversation.
0: Okay, so you would not put him
1: in the Hall of Fame? I wouldn't. I really. I, it's tough. I like John Lynch. John Lynch has had a had a great career as well. But I'd, if we're leaving some of the guys that we are, I would not put John Lynch.
0: All right. Next up, Peyton Manning, obvious Hall of Famer, won a couple Super Bowls, threw for a lot of yards. There are levels here, but Peyton Manning, I think, would at least be in the bottom of my top ten. I wouldn't put him in the top part of it, but Peyton Manning, no doubt, had a Hall of Fame career.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. I think the biggest flaw with his career is the fact that he only won two Super Bowls, one of which, of course, was with basically all the defense turning him through with Denver. If he had won three or four Super Bowls, that would obviously change quite a bit.
0: All right, next one for our Cleveland Brown fans. Clay Matthews Jr. Now, I know you know nothing about him except that he had a son to play in the NFL, but Clay Matthews Jr., is he a Hall of Famer?
1: No, this is a guy, a lot of people really like Clay Matthews Jr., but I think his legacy has gotten a little bit inflated since his retirement right at this point in time because everyone's, trying to get him in the Hall of Fame because he's a beloved fan favorite kind of player. But does he compare to Jack Ham or Jack Lambert? No, he doesn't. Let's not joke around. He's not a Hall of Famer. He's a great player, but he's not oh, a Hall of Famer.
0: What are his what are stats? What are his sacks? Stuff like this. Give me sacks and his interceptions.
1: All right, so he's got six and a half sacks. Granted, they didn't count like the first four or five years of his career sacks weren't kept that early on. Uh, 16 interceptions. 1,600 tackles.
0: How many games do you play in? Like a million? Uh, 278. 278. All right, I can tell you this. As a Bengals fan, I watched a lot of Browns and Clay Matthews Jr. I never, ever thought, oh, shit, we're going to play the Browns. How are we going to block Clay Matthews Jr.? What I will tell you is this. Reggie Williams, who was a linebacker at about the same time with the Bengals, who put up close to the same stats. I think he played a little bit before. I think Reggie had like six or seven years where there was no sack records kept. I think he had 41. He had 16 picks and a lot less. And he was a great team leader. And this is the difference between Reggie Williams and Clay Matthews Jr. Reggie Williams led his team to the Super Bowl twice. I I don't believe he ever got that far no clay matthews jr lost in the playoffs so i mean when you look at this levels once again and a lot of times this is popularity the other thing i will give is this reggie williams was also the nfl man of the year he was a cincinnati city councilman at the same time he played for the Bengals. so i don't see what the difference is between clay matthews jr and reggie williams that are in the fact that reggie williams was a little bit better
1: yeah, I don't think – I'm kind of surprised Matthews actually got this far to be a finalist this year. I like, think there's some players out there who have been moving who did not get through to the final round.
0: Yeah, like Willie Anderson, who should be in, or Ken Riley. How can Ken Riley never get even considered? It's absolutely stupid. The man had like 65 interceptions, and you know he was never even named a pro bowler.
1: Yeah, I was surprised because I remember we were talking about how they could have like the centennial class and they were going to put all these – all time's in and Ken Riley was right up there on, on my list of the guys who shouldn't get in. And I don't think he ever got that far. How about this? We're,
0: we're talking about Clay. Consideration. Consideration. Is Carl Mecklenburg in in the Hall of Fame?
1: No, I don't believe he's he's not in the Hall of Fame.
0: Carl Mecklenburg was a hell of a lot better than Clay Matthews Jr. So all you brown fans out there listening, I know there's a lot. Here we go. Mike Honcho, Hall of Very Good, just doesn't have the same ring. Yeah, but this is the thing. We can call it the Hall of Fame, but we can't let guys like Clay Matthews Jr., Tory Holt. Uh, who else did we talk about here today? I mean, we, we can't let Dan Fouts in it. Dan Fouts in the Hall of Famer. Come on, give me a break. What did Dan Fouts ever do other than lose a few championship games? I mean, give me a break. I mean, this is just stupid. Next up, Sam Mills. Is
1: Sam Mills a Hall of Famer? He's much closer to it than someone like Clay Matthews Jr. By the Hall of Fame standards, I would say Sam – this is a tough one for me. I'm really on the fence with Sam Mills. If he got in, I would not be super offended. Because Sam Mills, I think, was a highly underrated player, especially when he was with New Orleans. I think he was one of the better linebackers of his time in the NFL. He spent maybe a decade and a half or something like that. decade. I wouldn't be shocked if he got in. I wouldn't be upset if he got in
0: yeah I, I think this sam mills should be in the hall of fame he retired in 1997. he should have been in in 2002. i think he was one of the best linebackers i've ever seen play the game he was a part of the dome patrol you know with Von johnson where were the other guys swilling pat swilling was ricky, I mean, jackson they, 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 ricky jackson maybe the best linebacker group of linebackers on any given team ever and that was the team that got the saints to the playoffs for the first time ever in 1987. And then they got there again, I think, in 1990, 91, maybe 92 or 93. I think Sam Mills, then he goes to Carolina, and they're in the NFC Championship game, you know, what, in their second year, where they lose to the Packers, or his first year there. I mean, it was in the first three years, because I remember them and the Jaguars, both of the expansion teams, got to the championship game the same year. So Sam Mills, to me, is undoubtedly a Hall of Famer. And then, you know, the difference between Sam Mills and play Matthews Jr., to me, is
1: pretty significant. No, I agree with you there, which is why those guys on a finalist list. Like, this should be the cream of the crop. You should not have the levels to it necessarily that you would have in this situation. Whereas it's 15 guys. So you have to be able to have guys who are all deserving.
0: All right. And that's the problem because you're leaving guys off semifinal lists that are deserving, or you got old timers that should be in there that are not. um Next up, let's go Richard Seymour.
1: Yeah, Seymour was a very good player, certainly. And he's one of those interior defensive linemen. Or I think he played a little bit on the edge, too. But one of the linemen who gets kind of, you know, the role he played, especially early on in that Patriots dynasty, I don't know why he's kind of fidged the background. Seven Pro Bowls, three-time first-team All-Pro. I don't think so, though. I mean, this is also another one that's close to me, but I would think if we're looking at the guys that we have here, they're certainly deserving players. I wouldn't put him in the same classification as someone like a Charles Woodson.
0: No, and I do not think he's a Hall of Famer. I think he was great for his time. That is it to me. I mean, I just don't understand the guys that make this list, and I know a lot of this is, let's face it, it's a popularity contest. And we see it all the time with this. Um, Dan is a guy who should have been in the Hall of Fame almost immediately, one of the great guards that ever played. I don't think if he if he never does Monday night football, I don't think they ever let him in.
1: Yeah, it took quite a while. Wasn't he he was in pretty recently, right? It was like the two thousands, late nineteen hundreds, late nineteen nineties. Late like, night don't call it the late 1900s just because you didn't live in it. All right,
0: <laughs> that's scary. I think, I think Deerdorf got in in the early 90s, but I'm not sure. But I mean, and okay. the thing about Deerdorf, he was a guy I had Gary Jeter on, an old great Giants defensive line, and he passed away a few years ago. But he was one of the first guests we ever had on the show. And I asked him about Dan Deerdorf because I was kind of on the fence, I thought maybe he just got in because of Monday Night Football. But Gary Jeter, like, no, that was one of the baddest dudes I ever played against. He said he's a Hall of Famer. Um, Next up, Zach Thomas, Miami Dolphins.
1: Zach Thomas is also a very good player. But I would lean towards no as well. I mean, Zach Thomas, do you really feel like in Miami he's left the legacy that some of these guys like Luke Kuechly has made? Or Bobby Wagner? I think it's closer, maybe, than some of the guys we've talked about so far. But I would lean towards No.
0: I'm not sure because also I think Zach Thomas played for a Miami Dolphins team where he didn't have a whole hell of a lot around him a lot of times. I mean, I think his first year was what, 95 or 96. He played about 12 years. And if I remember from the tackles, it seemed like every year he threw up 140 or 150 tackles. I could actually see Zach Thomas getting in, especially over Clay Matthews Jr. Um, And if we're going to put Sam Mills in, I think we put Zach Thomas in. I think they were both great outstanding hall of fame linebackers.
1: That's fair. I mean, I, like Zach Thomas is not the most egregious name on this list. I'd be okay with him, him with Mills offense about both those guys, but I'd be totally fine with letting them in. I'm not strongly with Who's the most
0: egregious name on this list to you? In your opinion, who's the Jr. most egregious name?
1: Clay Matthews, Clay Matthews Jr.,
0: Matthews. I think Ron, I think him and Ronde Barber. I think I Lee Butler. I think, I think this, I think Leroy Butler is going to get in someday. I don't know if it'll be now or not, but he'll probably let his ass in. Because he's a Green Bay Packer? It always helps. It never hurts to be a Green Bay Packer or a Pittsburgh Steeler unless you're LC Greenwood. All right, next up, let's go to an Indianapolis Colt, Reggie Wayne. What's your take on Reggie Wayne?
1: Again, right being on cult helps out too. That's one of those teams that you get you get a little bit of a boost for playing that role. But to me, Reggie Wayne, great receiver for his time, he's much better than Marvin Harrison. And you can see the difference between like Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. So I know he's got the numbers, I know he's a very good player, but I would not put Reggie Wayne in the Hall of Fame,
0: yeah. And that's the thing that stands out to me you can't put him in the same stratosphere. It's a guy that played on the same team, so how are you going to put him in the Hall of Fame with, Mar- with, with Marvin
1: Harrison? Makes yeah, no I'd sense. argue there's. A, I would argue there's a bunch of receivers from this generation that are more decorated than Reggie Wayne. That's what I'm playing alongside Peyton Manning.
0: Yeah, um, and this is the thing. Tory Holt
1: should go in before Reggie Wayne. Yeah, I would take. I mean, I, I would take. Steve Smith in before Reggie Wayne. I know Steve's this year, but whenever he comes, they can be before Reggie Wayne.
0: Well, actually, I think Steve Smith can make a really good case. He's a Hall of Fame wide receiver. I really like Steve. He's a tough little dude. I really like him too. He, guys, I like Steve Smith. For
1: a little guy, he hits guys. I appreciate
0: that. Yeah, it's the same thing. Heinz War- Ward's in the Hall of Fame, right? I hate the Steelers and he's a cheap shot artist, but I like no. him just because he's not in the Hall of
1: Fame. <laughs> we make the finalist list this year. He was a semifinalist, finalist but I the first, in the round before this one.
0: Dude, I would take Heinz Ward before. I, on my team, I would rather have Heinz Ward over Tory Holt and Reggie Wayne.
1: He's going to hit people. That's what you can rely All right. now, on. Now, to me,
0: it. to me, Charles Woodson is the number one guy in this Hall of Fame class. I know they will give it to you know Peyton Manning because he's Peyton Manning. But Charles Woodson, 65 picks, returned it for 966, 11 touchdowns, Charles Woodson, I mean, he had over 1,200 tackles. Charles Woodson, to me, is the number one guy. He's the face of this draft class.
1: Yeah, a Super Bowl winner, at former defensive player of the year. And we're talking about all-time great defensive backs. I think he is in the conversation. Even if you're talking about top ten corners, he's probably towards the bottom the list, but he's in that discussion. I think he has to be. And even during his time in Oakland, when he came back, he was a safety after his time in Green Bay. He was very good. In Oakland, I during Peyton mang's maybe MVP year or the year before that, two or three times in the same game. So Charles Woodson, to me, is, he has the best resume of anyone on this list. There's also Peyton Mang, Alan Fanning up there as well. But Woodson was dominant. You can make the argument that he's better than Champ Bailey, who got in last year as the first ballot Hall of Famer. I would make that argument.
0: All right, let's go ahead, and we will get off this, because I think we went through everybody now. I didn't miss anybody, did I, Sam?
1: No, you got everyone.
0: All right, let's go ahead and a little playoff update. Buffalo Bills fans will have to take COVID nineteen tests to go to the game. The Bills in, uh, <laughs> damn, administered more than five thousand COVID nineteen tests in their stadium parking lot on Wednesday as they prepare to host sixty five hundred fans for Saturday's playoff game against the Indianapolis Colts. What do you think?
1: I mean, it happens. It's better than what well, was Sean Payton's idea was to everyone in quarantine like Fifty thousand fans and put them in the in the Superdome and have and have them like that just to get a home field advantage. Well, or something like that. That Sean sure.
0: No, what's a joke <laughs> is this? I mean, to be able to go to this game, you got to pay for the tickets. But then the team adds a sixty-three dollars surcharge to the game's ticket price to cover the cost of testing.
1: Oh, they charge them for it. Okay, they're charging <laughs> six, 63
0: dollars. And then set appointment times to everyone who got tickets so they could be tested on the stadium site in the days leading up to the game. So this is the thing they had 5,000 people tested on Wednesday, right? What is the biggest yeah. issue with testing 5,000 people on Wednesday for COVID to allow them into a playoff game Saturday or Sunday?
1: There's a lot of time in between.
0: You bet your ass there is. So you've got Thursday, Friday. You know, you, you could all of a sudden be positive Thursday or Friday. You done took your test. You're going to sit in there. Are they going to make fans wear facial coverings? Or as I like to say, slave skin mask? Yeah, so, I, I mean, they're going to charge you $63 extra. You're going to take the test ahead of time, which means, hell, you could have, you know, 500 people be positive by the time you get to the game. This seems stupid. It seems like they're just trying to find a reason to put five thousand people in. They give an excuse and they go with it. It's the NFL. Nothing the NFL does ever makes
1: any sense. No, the NFL is very bad with public relations, and this is one of the reasons why. You talk about all that time in between. So what is the point of that test then? It doesn't make any sense at that point. The test is basically null and void because you're not going to send someone home to sit in there, sit around in their house, and just wait until Saturday or Sunday. That's yeah, the third bill. We got to work. If you're paying the extra yeah. money for the test, you have to work. You got to make that money back. Yeah. So
0: you got to pay like $200 probably just for a ticket to test. All right. The Pittsburgh Steelers announced that are their friends and family. The Pittsburgh Steelers would not prevent fans at Heinz Field for the playoff game against the Cleveland Browns on Sunday night. There had been some hope within the organization that the state would grant approval for a limited crowd similar to the 5,500 per capacity permitted at home games in October and November. Ultimately, that did not come to fruition. So my question is this, could each Steeler player have like a 1,000 fans or a 1,000
1: family members? Hey, I'm sure if they could do it, they would do it. I mean, they would really like to have as many people in there as possible because Heinz Field, you can get a home field advantage where you get the terrible towel going and get all those people in there. It's one of the best games to be at, one of the best stadiums to play at. So, well, maybe if you're not a fan in the cold of winter, you might not enjoy it so much. But still, I would think they would, if they could get anyone in there, they would do their best to make sure they could have fans. All right.
0: So let's go ahead and let's look at the other story we were going to cover, which is a rumor right now that Deshaun Watson wants the hell out of Houston. Now I'm sure he wanted the hell out of Houston last year, too, probably before the season even started. I would think this. If you want to get if you want to get Deshaun Watson, you got to give up a lot. And I don't know why Houston would want to give him up better than the fact that he wants out. But this is a guy, man, if if you put Deshaun Watson on the 49ers or the Colts, um, the Giants. I mean, especially the 49ers or the Colts. Immediately, they are one of the four or five best teams in the NFL.
1: If he, he send like somewhere like Carolina's would probably be playoff teams next year, not one of the top five teams in the NFL, but they would still be solid teams. And there's a lot of issues going on in Houston right now. I mean, they have – how many good players do they have in Houston? They may be Zach Cunningham, linebacker defense, they got Larry Tensel at left tackle. And they got Deshaun Watson. They may be three franchise players going forward. J.J. Watt's going to get cut this offseason because he's got no dead cap hit if they cut him this offseason. So they're not going to pay for him. He's gone. They didn't even interview Eric Bien, The only team that I had coaches this offseason who did not interview Eric Bien. So to me, that sends a message like I, either Deshaun Watson has told them who he wants as head coach or they're just an incompetent organization. So frankly, I don't. If I'm Deshaun Watson, I am floating that out there because I want more control. of What's going on with the organization, or I want out.
0: Yeah, but nobody hired Eric the Enemy either, and you know, in everybody else's defense, if you know what I mean. That's true. Because I mean, yeah, this they, is the they, thing. There, there is uh, like major concerns with Eric the Enemy. Really? All right, I I'm, mean, I'm here just, for this. Well, I mean, dude, when he was in college got in trouble, a lot altercation at a bar, he pleaded no contest community service and over the course of his college career, his driving record with DUIs and minor occurrences was huge. He was caught speeding in the state, was forced to post a thousand dollar bond because he got posted or got caught speeding so much. He failed to appear in court driving with a suspended license, nothing real bad. Until July 4th, 1990, when firefighters were called to his mother's residence after a small fire broke out due to fireworks belonging to his brother igniting in a plastic bag. So they continued to search thinking it was an electrical fire, but the enemy tried to stop them and, you know, they found some shit there. Let's just put it that way. He was suspended from the team for a game or two and his pro career was mostly clean but he was banned from Colorado's campus for a year after harassing and assaulting a parking attendant during a Colorado football game in 1993. And, you know, his, when he coached at Colorado, he got a little trouble there too. He was Colorado's running backs coach in 2001. He was arrested for a DUI. And, you know, the other thing is during years two and three, Several rape allegations were pressed against Colorado players, and the time there ended while the school was investigating it, which we don't know what happened there, and I'm not saying he had anything to do with it, but there was a lot of stuff here, and you know, he was the center of a sexual harassment case involving two female athletic trainers, and there's a lot of stuff here. And when you look at Eric bien coaching career, you wonder why he didn't get a co- head coaching job. But I think a lot of it is this past issues he's had, which makes people worry about him.
1: No, that makes sense. I mean, I know listen, I know about all this stuff that you're bringing up now. It's the first time I've heard of all this stuff from the past. It does sound like it's a, I mean, at least most of it sounds like it's kind of in the rear view mirror, like 10, 15 years at the same point, you can understand, if you're a high guy to be the head of an organization and you're hoping to win the Super Bowl with him or to turn things around in New York or something like that, I can understand why, or even Houston, I can understand why you would be worried about something like that. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. It's a high-level yeah. investment.
0: Yeah, because I, I looked it up the other day, because I'm trying to figure out, Will, is it racism? Because that's what everybody will say. But I, I think the opposite of racism is covering up a guy's past just to try to push him to get a job and if i am a billionaire that owns a billion dollar franchise dude i mean when i looked up to B. N. M. enemy stuff because my first thought when i heard some people talk about it was well i think that was all in college but then when you look and you see now nah, this also happened in his coaching career at colorado this wasn't just somebody between the ages of 18 and 22 being stupid and getting a dui he was getting one when he was 28 29 30 also and Eric bien NFL career, I don't think, lasted very long. I know that the Bengals, I think he might have been with the Bengals for a while, and they cut him loose because of character issues. So I, I think when you look at the Eric bien thing, everybody always wants to scream racism. But a lot of this stuff Eric bien brought on himself.
1: Yeah, there is this much stuff kind of in this closet, and I can understand why people would be concerned about him back the Chargers and for the Bengals for a little bit is that correct yeah I think it was okay, with the Bengals like a, around it,
0: 94 wasn't he?
1: yeah he had a decent decently long enough career about 90 years obviously not much came of that but he was in the NFL for 90 years and he's yeah, but the anytime, you have to,
0: anytime you have to go to the Bengals you did something bad
1: especially in the <laughs> yeah, 90s you, you, know, you know something would be wrong then when you see that happen.
0: yeah yeah hell nobody wanted him he couldn't play in the nfl so he went to cincinnati in the 90s and the bears weren't a hell of a lot better in the mid 90s if i remember right so I, I just think there's a lot of things there with the enemy i think he'll finally get a job this year and i hope he does great but the other thing is this once again when he was an assistant at colorado or the head coach or when he was the coach at colorado the offense was terrible and that was him running the offense. And I still will tell you this. I watch Andy Reid call the plays on Sundays. I don't watch Eric Biennemi do it. I see Andy Reid, you know, with his stupid-ass shield on, reading the plays off and talking to the quarterback. So I think Biennemi has something to do with the game plan. I think he runs probably the offensive meetings. But when it comes down to it, I think he's helping. But Andy Reid's calling the offense. And that's not a shot at him because you could learn a lot listening to Andy Reid call the offense.
1: Yeah, yeah, Andy Reid's career. But well, let's be interesting to see now if he coaching job takes over an organization full, how that works out. Or if you see any of that characters to pop up again, or how it will work out just with him calling plays by himself. So how about this? I think, I think
0: this. I think he's going to fail miserably no matter where he goes.
1: Really? All right.
0: Yeah, I did not have that opinion before, but when I watch Chiefs games, and I don't see him calling the plays. Yeah, maybe he's a little like Zach Taylor. They were both failures up until, you know, and one guy. Anytime you hear
1: Zach Taylor's name in a conversation with someone, I can tell why you would immediately want to.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Andy Reid's had a lot of good coaches he's produced. Eric Bieniemy may be one of those also. I'm just saying there's so much hype here. Usually when you get that much hype with a new head coach, it usually doesn't work out that good because the expectations are through the roof. And the pressure on B enemy, wherever he goes, is going to be huge because everybody's going to expect him to perform right away. You know, if you're Sean McDermott, you go to Buffalo, shit, you had three years. If you're Zach Taylor, you go to Cincinnati, you got three years at least to figure this out. If you're Eric B and you go to Houston and Deshaun Watson's your quarterback, it's going to be figured out immediately, or yeah. you're going to have yeah. an issue.
1: You got a year, year and a half to figure it out or you're out of there.
0: Yeah, because Houston let Bill O'Brien hang around so long that I don't imagine that they're like Mike Brown in Cincinnati. I think they've probably learned their lesson, and they're probably gonna, not going to be as forgiving as they were. But also, I can say this. Bill O'Brien, I thought, up until last year when they made him the GM or the year before, whatever it was, I thought was a really good football coach. I mean, if I owned a team, I would hire Bill O'Brien as my head coach. I just wouldn't let him touch the, you know, no trades no yeah. for Bill. No, no roster. You could talk to me about the draft a little bit, but stay the hell away from the roster. We're not going to trade anybody. Don't be calling any other teams. But Bill O'Brien is out. Of all the guys that got fired. I mean, hell, the best one. why not? Yeah, I mean, he went. He was the coach right after Joe Paterno at Penn State, too. Correct?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think it's after that.
0: And within a couple of years, he had that program turned around. And it was a mess after the Paterno incident. So, I mean, a guy like Bill O'Brien, I would feel more comfortable with than Eric Bienemy, as long as he's not the GM. Now, I, I would feel better about Bienemy if he would have been the actual offensive coordinator where he was at. And also, if when I punch his name in and arrested, I don't get a bunch of articles. Because I can tell you this, when I coached yeah. arena football, I get a guy hit me up and his film looks awesome and stuff. But what I always did, and I did this about a hundred times a day, because you coach arena football, you're getting like a hundred films from a hundred different colleges. I would just put in the guy's name and arrested. If it, if it was clear and his film was good, I would then go put his name in and put scam. And then if he was still clear, then I would sign him.
1: How many guys get weeded out that way?
0: Um, I, to tell you the truth, probably 90%. I mean, probably 70% just weren't good enough, but 90% got weeded out because of something stupid. And then the other thing is check your social media, which I wasn't as big on then because I was at a a team that was an expansion team that was supposed to get our ass kicked. So I was closer to taking just about anybody the first year I was a head coach and we actually made the playoffs one more games than people thought then the next year. I was able to start putting arrested and scam behind that because I learned in the first year, you can win some games with guys that are like going to Dick sporting goods and stealing stuff. And they call them the hot boys, but you can win a lot more if you don't have guys like that.
1: Yeah. You don't have to worry about that kind of stuff.
0: All right, guys, tomorrow we have the wild card pickup show. Of course, 1981 national champion, Steve Risley will be on here to match wits with Sam Teats. And, of course, the Sheridan Report with Bobby Sheridan is putting up $1 million between Sam and Steve, whoever picks the most games correct during the playoffs. So we want to thank the Sheridan Report, Bobby Sheridan, at the Sheridan Report. Make sure you check him out for all your playoff picks. Sam, are you ready to take on Risley tomorrow?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm ready to go out and win this million dollars.
0: <laughs> we're, we're just hoping, you're just hoping that the Colts, he's going to pick no matter what.
1: Oh, I'm open. Yeah, I'm hoping he's gonna pick the Colts no matter what. If he does that, that's a free win for me.
0: Yeah, but you know what? Everybody thought that when you picked the when you picked the Steelers like that, and you got the free win.
1: Yeah, that's true. It
0: could go either way. All right, Sam, we're gonna wrap it up. You can follow Sam Teets at Sam teats 33 correct? Yep. You can follow, sure. you can follow me at Grilling Truth. Make sure you check us out on Rockfin um we'll actually start putting up more premium content you can sign up at rockfin for free with your email account make sure you check out the we are now on anchor which means we're on spotify pretty much anywhere you find sports podcasts, you'll find the grueling truth so for now for sam teets i'm mike good pastor you've been listening and watching to the grueling truth where the legends speak